Welcome back to our fourth episode of the podcast series "Going Dutch in Hong Kong." I'm your host Shermin Lee. This week, we are having a chat with Claudia Hintese, an award-winning multimedia journalist from the South China Morning Post, the largest local English media outlet in Hong Kong. Claudia is a visual storyteller with over a decade of experience under her belt in both the Netherlands and Hong Kong. You can find her work on National Geographic, China Daily, the Dutch newspaper NRC, and others. Currently, she works as lead video producer at the SCMP. So, how did a Dutch journalist travel thousands of miles away to Hong Kong and fall in love with the different stories and vivid characters here? What stories in Hong Kong are appealing to someone from the Netherlands? As it turns out, Claudia is no stranger to Asia. Let's find out when she first came here. So, Claudia, how long have you been in Hong Kong? I've been living in Hong Kong for. Just over seven years. I'm from The Hague originally in the Netherlands, and、uh, I've always worked in documentary photography and video journalism. What do you do for the SEMP? I produce my own video stories, short documentaries、uh, on topics that I research and select myself, and、uh, I also shoot it myself and I edit myself. And、uh, at the same time, I run a small team of producers that, on a daily basis, put together、uh, news videos. Most of the time,、uh, videos about news in the world. So we select, we I curate stories that I feel are relevant. Did you visit Hong Kong for the first time seven years ago? That that was not the first time I came to Hong Kong because、um, my. Asia story starts when I was seventeen. I just、uh, actually I just turned eighteen, I believe, and I was in、uh, Tokyo for one year at university. And the reason was that my stepfather he worked for the Netherlands embassy in Tokyo, and he basically gave me the choice to travel with him and、uh, go to university for a year. And、uh, I took that opportunity. So I, I spent one year in Japan, and then、um, my parents thought it was a good thing for me to go back to the Netherlands and go to university there. And from that moment onwards, I always had the plan to come back to Asia. So this was in '93, and I also came to Hong Kong as an 18-year-old. And so that was my first impression of Hong Kong. And I still like if I think back to those days, I always think about like how incredibly massive the traffic was. And Hong Kong's traffic is still massive nearly thirty years after. In your mind, is Hong Kong always a bustling city? A lot of people outside of the city they think of Hong Kong as a little bit like a dull, boring, financial place.、Uh, there's a lot of buildings, there's a lot of people, and a very tiny piece of land. But at the same time, there's a lot of green and、uh, and a lot of water. So and that and that allows for. Um, a lot of outdoors activity. The Netherlands is totally flat, right? And here you have a lot of mountains, so that's for one big difference.、Um, and I think one of the reasons I'm talking about it is because people don't expect Hong Kong to be so green, because nearly forty percent of the territory of Hong Kong 
is natural parks. And so from the very beginning, I've been mountain biking, I've been hiking, and I've, I've always been impressed that Hong Kong has this image outside where it's seen as a bit dull mm -hmm. financial center. But for me, it's been quite the opposite. I've, I've really loved exploring Hong Kong over these past years. What are some differences between living in Hong Kong and living in the Netherlands for you? Well, one of the social problems in Hong Kong is the housing issue, right? There's actually, yeah, there's, there's, there's people live in very tiny houses most of the time. Um, and so I think as a result, it's not very common to be invited into somebody's house, which in the Netherlands is a total different story. Uh, quite often, if you see friends, you'll have dinner at their place. And so in Hong Kong, people move outside, which, which is also fine with the weather because you can just meet at the spot and hang out. And um, luckily, because of my job, I get into people's houses and I, I love it. I always love to see how people live mm -hmm. and what it tells me about the characters. And it brings me to every single corner of this city. Um, so I've, I've been quite lucky, but I think a lot of people that come to Hong Kong, just, just because of the fact that Oftentimes, people also live with three generations, four generations inside a tiny, tiny house. Uh, sometimes they're ashamed. Sometimes it's just uncomfortable to bring people home. Um, yeah, I think that that's a big difference probably between the Netherlands and Hong Kong. Um, so I know that after you graduated, you um, worked at a Dutch media. So how did you feel that was really uh, that was different in the working culture between um, a Hong Kong newsroom and a Dutch newsroom? I think that the main difference when I worked at NOS, what you're referring to, and, and currently at the South China Morning Post, is that um, the whole newsroom was not yet totally digitized. So, mm -hmm. I mean, doing production, I did the production back then. That was mm -hmm. my first serious job, so to say, after my university, um, is that everything was analog. So so that's like a world of difference. And it's it's hard to compare that to... The company I work at now, because South China Morning Post is a total digital organization, and um, our audience, I, I think it's hard to call SCMP totally Hong Kong, because our audience is, is, is so widespread, and we have 15% of our readership in the United States. Uh, Singapore is massive, so it's, it's really not just Hong Kong. And our mission, of course, is very different from the mission I, that my publication in the Netherlands had, where uh, South China Morning Post aims to tell the story of Hong Kong and China and Asia to the world. So that's that's where they come from. So everything has that angle. And of course, that's, that's totally not the case with the NOS, where it, like, it would be telling the news from the Dutch perspective. your work what do you like to focus on yeah and i love i love learning more about this city through the people and and everybody is different that's the great thing you never meet two people the same like people have different thoughts different ideas different backgrounds last summer i worked on a story about um, a domestic worker here in hong kong and she actually had quite a traumatic story in that she lost her little brother to drowning when she was young 
and it had, had been something that hunted her all her life and her family. I have fear going into the water and I don't want to live with fear anymore. And she uh, actually kind of, because of the pandemic, she felt that she had to make a change in life and that, you know, like kind of death was around the corner and she decided to take a swimming course. And she'd also always been very afraid of water and uh, it's called Jessica Learns to Swim. Another of Claudia's short film for the SCMP about the song of a local fishing woman in Tai-O won the best short documentary at the 2021 Culture and Diversity Film Festival in California. Claudia met an 82-year-old woman who still knows how to sing the traditional songs in the Tanka community for their weddings and funerals. The songs she sang to Claudia have been listed as the city's intangible cultural heritage. So I, I was quite intrigued. I saw her and I thought that she by herself was a character strong enough to do a story about. So um, yeah, I traced her. And that's that's oftentimes how it goes. Like I, I read a story like in any of the uh, local newspapers or international papers, stories about Hong Kong, uh, books about Hong Kong, name it people I meet via via and uh, I'm always on looking for stories and thinking about stories that could be done in Hong Kong. So I'm curious, what does storytelling mean to you personally? I really enjoy doing it. It's just something that, uh, yeah, going out and telling people stories and meeting people and, and, and being paid to do that. I love it. <laughs> and uh, uh, so that's that's one side of the story. And then the other side is that I think it's really meaningful. And I think it's really great to hear people's opinion and to um, shed light on specific issues in society. And I find visual storytelling a very strong uh, medium to do so. I think it, it has a very uh, emotive side to it. Uh, people can relate to it. If you have a strong character, then people have a possibility to relate to that person. And when did your lifelong love affair for this start? I've always been interested in, in visual communication. And um, I've actually studied visual anthropology at the University of Amsterdam. So that's my university uh, studies. And uh, I feel that it's a very uh, forceful tool to get stories across and to make people understand what's going on in the world. And I've, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have figured it out at a quite young age. I, I, I enjoyed taking pictures when I was young and in high school and I always brought my grandpa's camera along, which back in the days was a bit different. Now we all can snap pictures all the time, of course. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the one that documented my, my teenage years. And um, I got really inspired one time by um, a, a documentary photo exhibition I saw uh, from James Nachtway. And um, it was about a lot of um, conflicts in the world, including Rwanda. And when I saw that exhibit, I was really 
impressed by how much I felt and not just like if you read facts, it's a different experience. But I, I just, yeah, I think visual journalism is very strong in making, in, in, in communicating emotions. And, um, and yeah, and I never let go. I've always been on a very straight path from where I started. Of course, I, I, I started off in photography and I worked uh, I work in videography right now, so I, I, I did make a little bit of change, but it's all in the field of visual journalism. So what, what would you say would be um, a really different uh, storytelling between these two formats? Like, how, how are they different? Well, there's a lot of similarity, of course, because it's visual storytelling and it's, it's visual journalism. Um, the difference, I think, between photography and videography is that... Photography is much more about the framing, like you have to have a good frame, so you have to be very patient and also uh, lucky at times. Um, and with videography, you can more construct um, a sequence by working very, very, very hard. It's not so much like the one moment, but it's about envisioning of how, how, how a, a sequence would unfold and and gathering the footage for that so there's, there's a very different um method to go about yeah very different methods indeed uh, which one do you like better i wonder um i i really enjoy working as a videographer and do you have uh, any uh, recommendations of documentaries that um, we should watch i i recently saw a really nice hong kong documentary and I really loved it. It's beautiful about the, the opera houses in Hong Kong built out of bamboo that appear in villages uh, at, at certain moments during, uh, during festivals, etc. Um, it's, it's a really interesting uh, observational documentary. It's very beautifully done. This documentary that Claudia just mentioned is called Bamboo Theatre by Chok Chong. It was released in 2019. It looks as the bamboo theatres built for Cantonese opera. And for Cantonese opera, these bamboo theatres are also a cultural space for the art and for celebration of Tin Hao, the goddess of the sea. I would definitely recommend people to watch the documentary production we made at the South China Morning Post about the Hong Kong protests. It's called China's Rebel City. And uh, it actually won a Webby Award. So that's like a really strong recognition in the world of film and video. And it's it's basically the story about the Hong Kong protests. SCMP's film China's Rebel City, the Hong Kong protests, has also won Best Documentary Feature at the Cane World Film Festival last year. It showcases how a student's murder of his girlfriend led up to Hong Kong's largest anti-government protests in 2019. A lot of prominent voices, from politicians to activists, talked about what triggered the months-long demonstrations. So, Claudia, can you share some tips with aspiring journalists on how to make a captivating video? Well, most of the time it starts with a good character. You have to find someone that has, has an interesting, engaging story to tell. Um, of course, also for people starting out, it's important to have like honest curiosity and um, an open mind. I think that, that brings you very far. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think it's also very important for people to not be intimidated by tech. 
which in the world of video journalism happens uh, can happen that people find that there's too many tools like drones and gimbals and all these things and and I I think that there's no reason because all these tools are there just to be used and to play with and you know it can go wrong but most of the time it just adds perspectives to it so yeah and work hard just keep on doing what you're doing um, practice a lot make mistakes. On top of her award-winning video works, she has years of experience in editing photos and drawing out the emotions from photo series. She worked at the famous World Press Photo Foundation in Amsterdam for over six years, where she planned a lot of exhibitions featuring works from the best of photojournalists. World Press Photo is a, is a Dutch organization that supports photojournalism and um, Part of the reason uh, the organization does that is because they believe in uh, press freedom and they want to support this. She helped organize the World Press Photo Exhibition in Hong Kong in 2021. Doing photo series justice has long been Claudia's passion. Back in 2007, she co-founded a photo agency named Noor in the Netherlands. Can you talk, walk us through a bit, like how you got the idea and what like triggered your passion? You know, I really need to start this photo agency right now. So that started uh, with two of the photographers that we started the agency with uh, that came back from covering Hurricane Katrina, the, the, the aftermath mm -hmm. in New Orleans in the States. And um, they had been covering it and uh came up with this idea that it would be really cool to start an agency and I got involved quite early on and we uh, had a list of photographers that we thought that if, if, if we would all work together uh, that it would be something very powerful and so I started reaching out to some of them and um, within a year we, uh, we launched NOR. What's the most difficult thing when you had to start uh, this photo agency back in the Netherlands? The most difficult thing when we started the photo agency, I think what nobody could have known the year we started it was the financial crisis. Yeah, it was, it was a really hard time. Journalism was changing a lot. Photography budgets were cut back. So it, it was not an easy time to start, uh, but we made it and we made it with a lot of support of publications, sponsors, NGOs we worked for and um, yeah, just just this year, actually, Nor has been around for fifteen years, and uh, as, yeah, and it's and and the 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 agency it's it's celebrating its um its fifteenth anniversary actually at this exact moment with a exhibition at the uh, Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris, so it's yeah it's it's still going strong. It's a it's a really strong collective of of, of documentary photographers. So who are some must check out photographers on your list? I don't have one favorite photographer. I have, I have a lot of favorite photographers. I mean, there's a lot of photographers that I like and also in different uh, types of photography because, of course, there's documentary photography, mm, photojournalism, uh, art photography, like name it. But um, a very interesting photographer that worked in Hong Kong, his name is Fan Ho. Mm -hmm. So he was a mainland uh, photographer that came to work in Hong Kong and he made beautiful black and white pictures. And um, there's a gallery here in Hong Kong that represents his work. It's called Blue Lotus. And uh, there's beautiful books of his work. So that's a photographer that for Hong Kong is very relevant and very beautiful. 
Many of Fan Hao's photos feature Hong Kong in the 50s and 60s. He captured everyday people strolling on the streets, children waiting for their parents to return, the vibrant market, and the harbor. Back when it was still very much a fishing village, his work can still be found in many private and public collections worldwide, including the Amplus Museum in Hong Kong. A photographer that's quite interesting is actually Ed van der Elske. So he's a Dutch photographer uh, and a, f- a filmmaker as well. And he uh, also worked in Hong Kong、uh, during several years. And there was an exhibit of his work,、uh, of his Hong Kong work,、uh, several years ago. And it was really interesting because I wasn't aware that Ed van der Elske had worked in Hong Kong. And it was,、uh, yeah, it was really great. He's, he's, he's a great photographer. Ed van Elsken is a Dutch photographer who also took a lot of pictures of Hong Kong in the fifties. Through his black and white photo snaps, it's not difficult to notice his particular interest in capturing the ordinary lives of people. In one photo, you can see loaded rickshaws, and in another, you can see a young child with a baby on her back. Maybe also、um, Werner Bischoff. So he's a, he's a Magnum photographer that worked in Hong Kong in the fifties, and、um, I have a really lovely print of、um, the junk boats in Victoria Harbour、um, in the fifties. Bischoff was in Hong Kong in 1952. In his photos, you can see rickshaws, traditional Chinese medicine, families of fishermen, and sailing boats dotting the famous harbor. Fast forward to 2022. I wonder how Claudia sees Hong Kong right now. So, if you have to describe Hong Kong in three adjectives, what would they be? Three adjectives to describe Hong Kong.、Um, I would definitely go for vertical,、um, because it's the most vertical city in the world. I would go for pressured, because it has been under pressure for many different reasons these past years,、um, and possibly resilient, or maybe that's more wishful thinking. But I, I hope, I hope Hong Kong is resilient. Why resilient? Well, because it's been squeezed in so many ways、um, over the past years.、Um, of course, there have been.、Uh, The protests and then COVID and yeah, a lot has changed these past three, four years in Hong Kong, and I just hope that it bounces back to the vibrance that there was until、uh, some time ago. And Claudia is currently making a documentary about those changes that disrupted many lives in our city. I'm interviewing a couple that has gone through every type of quarantine. That、uh, was imposed on the city. So they did like two-week home quarantine. They did three-week hotel quarantine. They did them all. So yeah, I, I touch upon that. But I'm I'm mostly talking to people in Hong Kong from different walks of lives and how the pandemic has impacted their life over the past two years. And then the、yeah. fifth wave came, and then it changed a lot. And then. The measures were stricter, and a lot of businesses went bankrupt, and people struggled more.、Um, and nobody actually saw it coming because people were tired of it. And then it, you know, it, then it hit us in the face. And it, that's kind of the emotion that I try to capture in my film as well. So, Claudia, you've been to so many places in Hong Kong. So, I wonder what's your favorite place in a busy city? I personally really enjoyed the more authentic Hong Kong. Neighborhoods like Lai Yu Moon,、um, the fish market, or 
uh, Yinglong, like just to go for street food, these kind of places. I really enjoyed those parts of Hong Kong as well. What's something that you feel like it's in the Netherlands that you miss when you're in Hong Kong and you're so happy that you can go back and do those or see those? Uh, friends and family, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, apart from that, everything is available here. If, if somebody's like longing for um, drop or anything, uh, haring, like any kind of food, you can get it here. So, or you can order it online. So, so if you have to um, sort of make a video about your time in Hong Kong for your friends and family back in the Netherlands, um, I wonder what kind of events or moments that you would include this in this video. Hmm, a video that kind of summarizes my seven years in Hong Kong. That's an interesting one. Yes, um, it would definitely include the protests because that was just work-wise such an intense um, time to be in Hong Kong and also to work in journalism because it was non-stop and all the time. And it would definitely entail my life uh, on Lama, which is, I think, a little pearl in the city. And it's, it's, there's a nice community and I had a really good time living there. It would entail uh, meeting my partner here in Hong Kong which was a beautiful happening. I think I would call Hong Kong my third home after Belgium. I did my high school in Belgium and lived there for a long time and see that more as my second home. But yeah, I think Hong Kong would be my third home. Hey listeners, what do you think about Claudia's story? Leave a comment on the Facebook page of Dutch Consulate Hong Kong. In the next episode, you will hear the tale of Ho Pintong, the Dutch Chinese motor car driver who won the Le Mans 24 hours in 2017. Stay tuned for the next episode. This series is brought to you by the Dutch Consulate General in Hong Kong and produced by Hong Kong-based podcast production team, Sustainable Asia.